Hello, and welcome to the Escape Velocity podcast presented by Modern Wordshop. This is the show for aspiring career changers where we explore how to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you're looking for inspiration to tackle a new career, pick up a new hobby, or just choose to show up to the world in a more authentic and meaningful way, this is the podcast for you. I'm your host, Kevin Sawyer. You're not going to know what the next thing is to come. Sometimes you're going to put something out there and say, I am putting it out there. I don't know, just like anybody else, I don't know how the story will go. So welcome to the What's Your Escape Velocity podcast. Today's guest is Ziamara Lorenzo. Now, Ziamara has had a notable career uh, in her own right as um, a product manager, director of research, um, and someone who's very much engaged with the pulse of, of digital strategy and, and how to increase customer engagement. Uh, what interests me about Ziamara's career is not necessarily the day job, but one of her side pursuits, which is Ziamara Lorenzo Designs, uh, a 3D printed jewelry uh, boutique studio. So Ziamara, I'd love for you to just kind of give me a little bit of background about the inspiration for that shop and what drove you to get into that idea of creating 3D printed jewelry uh, in the first place. Great. Uh, so first off, I'm really excited to be here and thank you for having me um, uh, in this series. So the shop has had many iterations. I think it's important to start there as as really any good idea or any any long-lasting thing in life more broadly goes through is that there are multiple iterations uh, of this concept. The first started when I was an undergrad at Wesleyan University, and I was making jewelry from my dorm room. And it was very spur of the idea of, I want to do something that is a bit whimsical. Um, It wasn't meant to become a shop at all. It was meant to take the idea of a certain earring design and say, oh, I actually, I really like what this looks like. And let me try it out as something wearable. Uh, And I used craft wire from a local craft store and picked up like little beads and things like that. And it was something I did really on the side of being the editor of the paper or working at the admissions office. It was just kind of something else that I did that was a bit different than what I did, but it was a part of that bigger picture of other ways I wanted to dedicate time. And that's how it continued to unfold. Once I graduated, I continued to buy materials through craft stores. Once I moved from Wesleyan, Connecticut to New York, found other craft stores and really got it, you know, got into like the thirties on Broadway uh, in New York and like got to know those shops very well. Also making jewelry became part of my being a New Yorker and also part of my financial wellness maturity as well to know, okay, wait, how much money am I putting to, to buying supplies? And does that make sense? When I look back on it, I was like, that was a, making jewelry was also a way that I also kind of came into myself And I will say when I was an undergrad, uh, I had a couple of friends who did buy my jewelry and that also elicited a great feeling. So I also had that seed in mind of like, it's possible. Um, It's just a question of, is it something I want to do? And then still while living in New York, uh, once now again, having graduated, moved to New York City, uh, I came upon a class that focused on soldering. So now going from metals, you know, kind of metal working with your hands to soldering and metal smithing, learning how to use and control heat to join metal together and what metals 
went, you know, went together and how did you go, go from the idea to uh, implementation to polishing and then continued refinement on an ideas is, are some key learnings that I, I got from a class that I took in New York. And then um, I started to learn about 3D printing when I came to Boston, actually, um, having gotten my MBA, having uh, also worked in finance for quite a while, there's the, there's the part around if you are working on a concept, is this something you want to scale, which we can talk more about. But that was, that's, that was also a key question too. And so 3D printing and learning about going from making carved out patterns from like a, um, jewelers often use um, wax models to make replication of their designs um, so that you're not carving every or making every design, um, every piece of jewelry, they use a cast to help with that uh, manufacturing process. I recognize the power behind 3D printing to um, address the opportunity to grow this idea out further. And then it just kind of took off from there, especially once I created the Etsy shop and, and was advertising a bit. I was like, oh, folks actually, it's not just me. <laughs> um, like there's there's definitely interest here and that's that was that was and that remains one of the coolest parts to see that I'm like oh there are like hundreds of these things <laughs> like hundreds of these earrings just out there so what I think is really cool about your product specifically um, you seem to have kind of a philosophical approach to it and I, and I love this idea of like beginning where you end and this continuous line in your designs where you can't really tell where the beginning and the end is, which I think kind of elevates the product from an aesthetic, you know, an obviously attractive, you know, well, well-designed form and object, but it seems like there's, there's, there is a bit of a philosophical uh, grounding in not just the idea of creating jewelry, but creating a specific kind of shape and a specific kind of approach to it undergrid by this idea of like continuous growth. So, you know, how, how did that kind of play into your thought process as you were prototyping these different ideas and kind of focusing your vision for what you wanted to produce specifically in that market? Yeah, I love that. I love everything that you've, um, that you've read in because that, that very much holds and makes visible both the underlying ethos of XLD and also that particular design, the continuous design, which was the first design that I um, came up with. And that's probably had the most iterations over the past 15 plus years. It reflects my own personal ethic around personal growth um, that really one should always be growing both as an individual and in the relationships that they are in, both with human beings as well as with the world itself. Um, and the design, when you look at the design, and this is something I've always felt particularly attached to is that, uh, and that I always, I always felt was kind of like a, a North Star for me, is that I wanna be able to look at this design and not really be able to tell exactly where did, like, where did ZMR start this? And so especially with 3D printing, because of the layering effect, it's really even more difficult to figure out where does the line on this design start? I think about beginning where you end and sometimes the idea of where, like, where one might feel like they end, where it might feel like almost like the, almost like a, the mourning of something, the loss of something, but really there's a lot that can come out of a moment of whether it's closure or what you thought of as, oh, I used to think this way, but actually I, my mind has expanded and now I'm thinking more broadly, I can actually hold more and not be so 
kind of siloed in the, in my thinking that that's a really great aspect of human, of humanity, of being able to think beyond, you know, all the things that we hold and we say like, this is what makes the world true. And then being able to take in more information to be able to grow from that and say, actually, I know where I came from, where my thought process was, but in letting in some new information, I'm going to try to be expansive around that and try to grow around that. And that, that to me is something I, I hope I always live by and, and that I, I hope more designs come from that. How does that idea of broadening your perspective and, and starting where you end and, and continuous growth, how might that apply at a, at a shop or an organization or a career that doesn't explicitly encourage and prioritize creativity and innovation? What would you tell someone who's trying to live in a spirit of continuous growth, but perhaps might be in a career or an industry that is not encouraging to that ethos? It's a great question because I think that's a very relevant question given where we are right now. Uh, you know, if you're either currently working or furloughed, if you are thinking about a career move during this pandemic, uh, it's 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 such a valuable question um, of how do you think about growth is really trying to think about both people and challenges, business challenges from multiple perspectives. We are inherently going to start from our own to say, well, here's how I saw, or here's how I see a certain business challenge. That's really coming at it from the lens from, from what you can visualize. Every, every cycle, every period, every t- it's, there's sometimes there's a crack of openness that can be, that can be driven through, um, but you you really want to have team members with you who are both able to carry and hold a lot of empathy at times for parts of a business that are kicking and screaming and very resistant, and also parts of the business that are just like, we're here with you. We don't know what to do, but we're willing to try. And so once you once you can recognize the opportunity that you have of not necessarily thinking from the me, me, me perspective of like, well, if they just did this, or if I just, if I, they just listened to me and you start listening to other parts of the business and you also take the approach of, and I found this to be particularly valuable. You're not trying to also take over the thing. You're listening to the people who are already there doing the thing. And you're looking for ways of like, how can I actually make your life better by maybe implementing this new technology? But again, it requires empathy and listening. And sometimes as humans in like a survival mode, especially I think right now, that that's much, that's so difficult to access that individualistic mode of like, you know, I'm going to go in and I'm going to fix all this and I'm going to tell everyone why they're wrong or why they're not doing it right. Um, ends up causing more harm because really if you're trying to change, it's, it has to inherently be more than just you. It has to be, it's like you almost have to really inspire people. And, and that's, that's in some ways the biggest innovation beyond maybe the product that you deliver is were you able to inspire enough people to say, yes, actually, we not only do we see where we want to go, but it makes sense to us. And we also see a role for ourselves in that. Mm-hmm. Several of your positions have been about looking forward and innovating and leading new initiatives at, at specific companies. Your background, your undergrad is in history, right? Which, which is c- kind of humorous to me because, you know, history it, 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 by some definition is about looking backwards, right? About studying uh, kind of the past. And so how do those two aspects of your experience jive together? 
the history degree definitely definitely plays into that. I love both history broadly um, and also um, cultural analysis that is also happening today. I mean, it's, it's you know, right now, like I, there's a, a podcast I left through from the New York Times called Still Processing. And it's an analysis of what's happening today that you could see from a certain period from now, you know, will also become a point of historical reference. Um, but I think history specifically, and going back to the theme of being continuous, is that history has that, has, has that rhythm as well. Um, there's so much in history, even when you look at the pandemic crisis that we're in right now, uh, has connection to the HIV AIDS crisis from the 1980s, has, you know, everyone it will also obviously reference the Spanish flu, you know, from the 19, uh, from, from 1918. You know, the universe is not generous enough to make history so exactly the same so that you're just like, yes, this is that. <laughs> Let me grab the solution that we barely got to from that period and re-implement it here. Instead, the universe is like, I'm going to give you a compilation of different things, you know, but are there learnings that, that we, we've had historically that we can bring in? And, you know, it's like the saying goes, it's like, what, you know, what isn't learned, you're doomed to, to repeat again. I'm, I'm butchering that, but like roughly, right, that's the saying. The field of history and the study of history has, has been a great teacher for me in that. Um, and again, I think going back to empathy, you know, human beings, it's clear even it doesn't always feel that way, we are trying our best, or at least I have to believe that um, some more than others. And so being able to draw upon history and take it down from like the stodgy kind of just names and dates and facts and all of that, but to people's narratives and stories and to also know that the field of history comes with its own multiplicity, multitude, excuse me, of perspectives. Mm. Uh, and, and the more that we can also digest that again, goes back to empathy of just, you know, well, I can see how they would see it from this way. I can see how they would see it from that way. Just for me has also just helped reinform my, my ethos. So it's, it's definitely, I, I take history with me uh, as, as part of how I think and how I, how I approach things. I love that, that concept that the universe doesn't give us the off the shelf solution, but we get a mixtape maybe of, multiple somewhat similar uh, events to draw from for analogous inspiration. What are some moments in your life personally in, in the ZMR mixtape elements of your own history that have helped you kind of get to the point where you can say, well, this is kind of like this situation and I'm going to lean on what I learned in that scenario to inform my decision-making in this current scenario. So they're definitely when I, when I think specifically about professional opportunity, there was a, kind of an, an entrepreneur opportunity that I had taken a few years back, uh, there was a major change that we went through. And it was, it was for me a shift from going from managing a small team to abruptly managing a large team. And there was, it was a, there a really big focus around change management. And initially for me, there was a big question of, you know, can I, can I do this? I had in front of me a team that had been completely turned upside down and the next step was not clear. And I wasn't sure if I would be able to just outside of just the people itself. Like I just, I didn't know myself enough at that time to know at this point when a large opportunity comes my way, I no longer come at it with my first thought of, you know, I don't know if I can do this. But that was a fundamental shift. 
prior to that experience, I approached professional opportunities with, I don't know if I can. And then after that experience and after having led the team and after having landed us a bit, where I landed was, I can do this. It's just a, it's really more a question of, of how and what is it going to take and, and who am I going to be doing this with? But there was no longer that question of, can I do this? It's a matter of how am I going to do this? And that's a very empowering place to shift to, especially you know, for myself raised as a cisgender female, there is so much questioning and so much of a feeling of imposter syndrome of like, am I supposed to be here, especially being as a, as a queer Afro-Latinx person? So many messages of doubt yourself, question yourself, look around, don't see yourself. To feel now inside of myself, I can do this, I do belong here. How do I figure out a way to bring others along with me is really the question that I want to be asking myself versus do I belong here? That takes a shift. And as as challenging as that particular moment was in that change management role, which I feel like I had to give my I mean, I, I came in after work. I would I would come home after work and I was physically exhausted. My bones felt tired. Um, I gave a lot less to friendships, uh, to my own marriage in some, in some ways, because it was so draining to be in that time period. Now, having been out of it, it feels like a gift. It was very difficult to see that at that initial period, but it was, it was a gift of, of being able to get to know myself better. And I've now taken that into every opportunity that I consider going forward. So when I think about change management, that can be a scary word, right? Because for a lot of people, I think change means loss or, or death of some familiar routine or job title or skill set. What would you tell someone to, to help them work through that process of change management so that they can get to the other side and, and look at these opportunities rather than this sort of binary, either I have the skills or I don't, or I, I'm qualified or I'm not? and evolve into something that's a little bit more of what it seems like you experienced, which is I, I may not know every step along the way, but I now have the courage or the self-knowledge that I, I can keep walking. I love the way you captured it. You know, the very first thing that you said was that change can feel like death. Uh, again, going back to the continuous kind of ethos, right? It's like begin where you end. And so an end can be very scary. It can feel like you are at the death of something and almost like I can't see beyond that. Uh, what could possibly come after um, a change in perspective or a change in one's job or it just, it just feels like just kind of like this very uncomfortable openness. But also that with change can come a rethinking of, your, of yourself, an opportunity to both get to know yourself better, especially under different circumstances. And even if that feels too scary to take in, like almost in some ways, like I don't want to get to know myself better. I like, I like, I like knowing myself the way I am right now. Even to take that down a notch and maybe not make it so heady is to say, okay, well, am I committed to something new or growth? It doesn't have to mean a complete wash away of kind of, everything I know, it can mean that I'm willing to think a little bit differently than how I started my day yesterday. I'm willing to think a little bit differently about something in front of me. 
and we we're humans. We have free will. We, we, you can choose to say, I don't want to grow in this way. I'm not ready yet. I see it for what it is. I see that it's an opportunity, but I am not ready to grow. And I, and I think that that no one should be shamed for that. Mm. Um, I'd say, be honest about it. Uh, but if you're not, if you know that you're not ready to grow and more importantly, put in the work to grow, then that's not serving anyone. That's not serving anyone who could be inspired by you, but then sees that you're kind of like half in, half out. Um, it's not good for you at the core because to grow, to forge yourself through something and into something new takes a lot of willingness to, to, to see that head on. And if you're not comfortable with that or not willing to, and I think even beyond not comfortable, I think if you're not willing to, and you, and you can see that this is, you know, the, the effort it will take, then I think it's, that's just as important to know about yourself as it is to say, I am ready to grow. So I think that the, having those check-in points with yourself, because you're absolutely right, Kevin, it's like, you're not going to know what the next thing is to come. Sometimes you're going to put something out there and say, I am putting it out there. I don't know, just like anybody else, I don't know how the story will go. Um, but really what's more important or as equally as important as putting, as putting yourself out there for a particular change is how do you move forward with that change? Do you embrace it or do you, do you say, actually, this is not for me. I, I need to do something else. Um, and especially if I'm working with the, if working with a team and there's like a change that's coming in, then we figure out what that means collectively together. It's an active, it's an active moment for you. It's not a passive thing. You should not be passively moving into change. <laughs> And I think that's really important because, you know, at least in my LinkedIn feed, you know, it, everybody's doing all the things all the time, right? And it seems like there's this ethos in the professional networks of if you're not getting the new job and, and starting the new business and becoming a thought leader and having a personal brand and having 100 side projects, uh, you're just not keeping up, right? But I, but I love what you said about you know, sometimes the self-knowledge of this is not the right season for that change is equally as important to growth or maybe just to awareness as I'm going to take that leap and I'm going to do it. So what are your thoughts on how do we couple that patience with a environment that seems to be heavily shouting around how cool and awesome and go for it and hustle culture and all of that stuff? Like what, where does that balance lie? a great question because it reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend about a year ago. They are a fantastic baker. And um, if they're ever like there's this niche area being able to put together these beautiful um, curated serving dishes and platters of like beautiful food, this friend does that. The way she just sees food is and, and, flavor, like sees flavor and tastes flavor. It's amazing. And someone had approached her about like, oh, why don't you start a catering business where, you know, this is what you do. You know, you make these beautiful platters and you make this food that like dances off the palate. Like, why don't you do this as a, as like your side hustle? And she was actively, she was adamant that it's like, it's, it's within her right to not side hustle everything that, um, to not, uh, that it was, 
that to not lose sight of what made the the beauty that she was enabling and creating to not lose sight of it meant to also not transform it. I mean, it, the ability to, to create a new business, as we all know, those, those barriers, whether it's uh, through cloud computing, through tools to promote yourself, uh, through the ability in some ways to kind of slice up your time in these very niche, narrow um, uh, tranches has been enabled more and better than ever before. And so that siren song that you're describing, it would be easy for her just in one day to set up, whether it's an Etsy or a Squarespace or a Wix or whatever it is, throw up a few photos through her iPhone, which is taking terrific photos, right? And, and put up a shingle um, and start advertising on social media. But to do all of that means that you're taking something that you feel passionate about and you're saying, okay, you know what? It's not like you lose heart when you take your passion and make it into something, but it can't also be just about heart. Um, for the amount of effort and struggle that it takes to make something, a, to give something a bit more structure, uh, and this is all the boring stuff of like, ah, oh, Ziamara, it's like, why are you talking about just like efficiencies and like, you know, ways to scale and revenue and all of that? It's because that's what, that's what the conversation shifts to. As soon as you start setting up the Squarespace and start doing you know, paid promotions, it starts taking money to support all of this. And you may say, you know what, I am, I'm happy to take some of my own money, my own capital to make this happen. But at a certain point, you think even a year from now, you're like, well, I'm, I'm actually still losing money, but I love doing this and I love that I'm just kind of selling a little bit beyond... But then like certain pressures start coming in, like, you know, do I have an accountant? Am I doing, and it's like all that stress. And so that heart that you have is what's sustaining you, but it's also, it's like now you're having to defend it mm. <laughs> against, you know, cost models and, you know, against like, well, how many subscribers did I get to my, my Instagram account this week? And how many of those people can I, those, those followers specifically, can I then convert into the funnel of a paying customer of my, um, of my, um, my shop? And so what I heard from my friend in that moment, which was so refreshing, was to say, I love doing this for my friends. I love curating these platters for my friends. I love bringing delight to myself that I, I know how to make these amazing, beautiful pastries and baked goods. And that is, that's actually what's going to bring me joy. Thanks for listening. Escape of Velocity is hosted and produced by me, Kevin Sawyer, and presented by Modern Word Shop. Modern Word Shop helps startups and entrepreneurs make their words work harder through a full range of writing and editing services. www.modernwordshop.com And yes, that's Word Shop with a D. I hope you're feeling more inspired to break through the inertia of the everyday. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. Until next time, aim high and don't let gravity stop you. Thank you.